the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer, San Diego. Welcome to the Pro-America Report. It's Ed Martin. Great to be with you. Ed Martin's Pro-America Report. For those of you watching on Periscope, at Eagle Ed Martin, thanks for tuning in. It's time to talk about Obamagate. It's now full-blown out in the open. So much so that Eric Holder, the former Attorney General for the United States, the man held in contempt of Congress, who had, as, a, as in my opinion, a, one of the least respectable uh, tenures as Attorney General, he crawled out of his thousand twelve hundred dollar an hour law firm covington and burling this morning to complain that other people are politicizing the department of justice so here's what you know and what you need to know i'll get to it right away obamagate is closing in on the people who did this even more in the last few hours we found out more we'll get to that but when eric holder is scurrying out to try to defend himself you know you're getting close so here's what's happened in the last Let's say 24 hours. Maybe it's a little bit more like 30 hours. But in the last, let's say 36 hours. Let's round it up. Number one is the, the, law, the, the judge in the General Flynn case has signed on as a full participant in the Obamagate fight. Because right now in the case, the Flynn case, you have the prosecution and the defense agreeing that there is not a case there. And instead of the judge saying, well, my job is just to be the umpire. I don't get to be a player. He's decided to invite the world. Yes, the world to submit arguments about the issue. So you already we have a left wing group complaining they're going to file an argument. You Eric Holder likely file an argument. And what the judge can do, because a district court, a federal district court judge is akin to a little. Uh, he's like a, a king of his court, literally queen, king or queen of his court that you can't really within the court. You can't really they can be overruled later. They can be slapped down later, but they really within their court, they can do what they want. So this judge Sullivan has decided that he is not going to allow this um, case to proceed and be dismissed. So I have over on Periscope, one of you is saying, give me a rundown of Obamagate. Let me tell you what Obamagate is, okay? Obamagate is the whole Russia hoax rolled into one. Because what we now know is that when they took the famous photograph the day after the election in November of 2016, and all the Obama staffers were gathered in the Rose Garden, and they were crying and in tears, it's because they wondered how it could happen that the transfer of power from the Obama White House to the Clinton White House had not happened. And they were faced with the fact that they were about to be exposed, Most, I, I would argue mostly for being lefties and all, but they decided, no, let's try to damage the peaceful transfer of power. Now, I can't prove all this yet. I'm just describing the facts as we know them. What we know in Obamagate is that starting after Election Day, there was systematic conduct by the Obama administration to try to take down General Flynn, for sure, to find some kind of uh, crime or lie or something to make his life miserable, and to otherwise try to use different norms and rules than is usually applied to this president. You have Comey admitting, I wouldn't have tried this on another White House, but these people, well, I tried it on them. 
So the Steele dossier, which was a fraud, the notion of the Russians hacking, there's no evidence. No one has ever yet proved evidence, not not a single bit of evidence, that the Russians are responsible for the hack of the DNC. Everyone says it like it's a fact. It's not, show me one piece of evidence. It's a lie. And so all of that happens before the election. But after the election, Obamagate starts. And the systematic usage of the office and the offices around the presidency Culminating, by the way, so far with today, we know what we know. Again, we'll know more details. Is today released by the director, director of national intelligence, the details of the unmasking, quote unquote, Susan Rice and Samantha Powers and other career Obama and Valerie Jarrett, probably. I don't know if I saw her name on it. Joe Biden was on the list. They went about pulling all putting into play. And here's the trick of this. Let me explain to you what unmasking meant. If you had a a memo, a presidential briefing on intelligence, if the, the president's daily briefing which is a very top secret, right? It's totally classified. Every day, the president of the United States get a brief, gets a briefing and it's totally classified. And, but there are about, there are a dozen or two dozen people who get that briefing. So they see what the president saw. But even in the briefing, they don't put the real names of people that are in the midst of things. So Crossfire Razor is the name of Flynn, but not in the memo, in the, in the presidential briefings. So what happens is there was request after request by Susan Rice and others to, to, uh, to unmask Flynn and others. And so suddenly in those memos that are sent to 39 or 40 people, that's a total number that get them, are the names. And guess what happens next? The name gets leaked. So what you do if you're Susan Rice or, or someone who wants to cause the leak to happen is you unclassify, you unmask the names, not unclassify, unmask the names so that it's out from under and then you send it out broadly. And then when it leaks, lots of people have plausible deniability. So if there's 39 offices that got these memos, well, one of them leaked, but how do you find it? And then you count on the fact that you're going to fight and, and, and cause chaos. So you're never going to find out. We still haven't found out who leaked all this stuff. So the Obamagate has transitioned from a, a, a the Russia hoax and the attempted takedown uh, and or let's say the different if you want to be if you want to be generous to these people, Susan Rice and others, maybe you say it wasn't a coup. Maybe you say it was just the um, the uh, uh, impeding the, the peaceful transition of power making it difficult for them to do their jobs. And frankly, over the last three years, you've had a president of the United States that probably has to had spend a third of his time on things that were hoaxes, wasting his time away from things that he could have done. And so my point here is that it, Obamagate is not, it's not, wh- it's not what happened now. We know things that happened. It's who did it and when. And, and let's find out who did it and when. And now, so in the last week, What's happened in the Flynn prosecution is that the prosecutors have had to turn over to the court all kinds of evidence that makes it clear that there was an ongoing effort to entrap Flynn or something like that to put him in a position where his only choice was to to make a deal that he didn't really like or agree with. But here we have. And, and now the, the roll up of the Flynn failure, the prosecution of Flynn and the failure to prosecute Flynn is rolling right up towards whom? Sally Yates. Comey, Clapper, and the same gang at the heart of Obamagate. The the simple fact is this. Whether it was treasonous is not clear. But whether it was un-American is 100% clear. 
the peaceful transition of power from one elected official to another in our country. It's always been a hallmark, whether it's Clinton handing off to W. Bush, W. Bush handing off to Obama. It's all, yeah, there are some, you know, there are some, as uh, we talked about, the, the Clinton White House caused some damage by damaging computers, and I'm sure there's other. But the fact is that the peaceful transition, it's a hallmark of America. In, 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 in banana republics, they do the stuff that it looks like Susan Rice and her people were doing. And why is Judge Sullivan fighting so hard to delay things? Because the only hope of this, these people, these, these bad actors, deep state, whatever you want to call them, their only hope is to win in November and get their own people in power and then ignore what happened. In fact, they won't just ignore what happened. They'll go back on it and go after the people who went looking at them. The stakes for the future of the country now are are laid out and clear. It's we the people who expect elections to have consequences. We expect the peaceful transition of power. I don't know a single person. I've never heard of someone who said after Obama won his election that George W. Bush should do something, you know, to investigate any of his, his people or to investigate him or whatever, to go back and look at Jeremiah Wright and say, the chickens are coming home to roost. Well, the chickens are coming home to roost in Obamagate. And at the very least... I think that you can safely say that the Obama administration will go down as tarnished more than it may have been before, if not thoroughly discredited. And at the very worst for them, I think you're going to find some people that committed either crimes or violations of the norms of their offices. You know, it could be that somebody like Comey, maybe he didn't commit a crime, although it looks like it looks like he could have. But he he may have, uh, you know, he may have uh, done things that are against the the code of ethics. By the way, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this. You know what course James Comey teaches at William & Mary School of Law? William & Mary School of Law, one of the greatest colleges and universities in the country, William & Mary down in Williamsburg, Virginia. He's on the faculty, James Comey, of of the School of Law, and he's teaching ethics. Ethics. The guy that admitted he was leaking because he knew better than everyone else. The guy that admitted that his ethics were so good that he sent somebody over to the White House when he knew he wouldn't have done that to somebody else, but he did it because he was so big and so important. Talk about situational ethics. Talk about pathetic. That's what he's teaching the kids. I mean, it's unbelievable. Anyway, all right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. we got a great show today on the radio. I'll be back on, uh, on Periscope in a minute. Don't forget to follow at Eagle Ed Martin on uh, Twitter and Ed Martin Live to get signed up on the old website for the daily email. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin's Pro-America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin's Pro-America Report. Good to be with you. We have our next guest, Dr. Michael Bussler, and he is a public policy analyst. Uh, He's at Stockton University in my old home state, where I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, You'll read him all over the place, I have to say. uh, Townhall.com, The Hill, I saw him. I was looking through his stuff. Uh, It's great to have him on. One of the issues I want to ask him about was one that's come up with some of our uh, folks that have commented, emailed me, about uh, Betsy DeVos and the changes that she was proposing, is proposing, uh, the, they call it the so-called DeVos rule um, uh, regarding college sexual assault. And Joe Biden immediately jumped in to take that on. So first of all, welcome, Dr. Bussler. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, it's good to be with you. So walk us through, first of all, what is the new DeVos rule? Tell us what she's doing. I mean, so many things the public, you know, we don't keep up on. What, yeah. what is she doing? Why is it happening? What's the impact? 
Okay, so uh, here's here's what happened. Um, sexual assault on college campuses is a, a problem, and it's a problem on virtually every uh, college campus. So um, the Obama administration said that uh, we're trying to do something about this uh, problem. Uh, they thought the problem was even much greater than was being reported, and part of the reason was that um, women were uh, reluctant to file charges at the university uh, and move forward with this, usually because it meant they had to end up confronting their accuser. Uh, the whole thing went public, um, and it's a very difficult thing to, to prove. I mean, it's a, essentially a he said, she said. So it's a very difficult thing. A lot of uh, women, uh, the Obama administration felt, didn't even want to report this. So the Obama administration uh, made things easier. They said, look, um, if you report this, um, the university will assign someone who's qualified to um, evaluate this. Uh, you can come in and tell your side of the story. We won't bring your uh, person you're accusing of doing this in. We'll just listen to what you have to say, and we'll decide on the evidence that you present whether uh, there has been a uh, something committed here or, or not. Uh, and the Obama administration felt that if they did that, women would feel um, a little less intimidated about coming forward. The problem with it is uh, the accused person uh, doesn't have any chance to defend himself. And oftentimes, um, or sometimes, what what happens is, um, the man feels that he was really wrongly uh, accused. They never listened right. to what he had to say. He never got to defend himself. So Betsy DeVos changed that. She said, now when you bring the um, conflict, the uh, assault charge to your administration, the administration has to get somebody who's qualified to judge this, and your accuser is allowed to be there and bring in any witnesses and even question the woman who made the, the charge. The uh, Betsy DeVos felt that was more like what happens in a court of law. You're entitled to uh, confront your accuser, uh, and therefore you would get um, better outcomes. Joe Biden disagreed with that, and he essentially wants to go back to the way it was under the Obama administration. Let me also say that this is a very difficult yeah. situation. Uh, you have a man and a woman, nobody else there. Uh, and uh, you have to decide whether there was an assault uh, or not. Uh, now, sometimes it's pretty obvious. Sometimes it's a little bit of a, a gray area, at least according to the men. Uh, they would say, look, we got a fairly far along um, just when we were about to uh, consummate our evening. Um, I think she said something. I'm not sure she said no, but I just kept going. And, of course, the rule is now that um, a woman has a right to say no at any point. Uh, so the uh, DeVos rule will allow uh, men to come into the room and give their side of the view of uh, what happened. Let, let me also say one other thing. You, you may recall in um, 2006, uh, the Duke University lacrosse team, uh, who had a very strong team, they were going into the national NCAA tournament with a good chance of winning or at least finishing uh, very high. A week or two before that, they had a party. Uh, they hired some adult entertainers. Uh, the women came. There was some kind of a dispute. 
uh, a fight, uh, not physically, but a, a fight broke out. The women left and filed sexual assault charges against three members of the team. They were not allowed to play. The Duke team couldn't even participate in the tournament. And for some of these seniors who have been playing lacrosse their entire life, lives, this was the high point of their life going to the uh, NCAA tournament. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't do that. It later turned out that the girl was not telling the truth, uh, and these guys ended up being harmed. That's what Betsy you know, uh, wanted to uh, confront. Yeah. Let me let me uh, and, and make sure uh, we're talking with Dr. Michael Bussler and let me make sure that people know on Facebook he's at uh, Michael dot Bussler on Twitter at M Bussler B U S L E R uh, and also uh, I'm, I'm, you can see his writing op eds all over the place for many many years now uh, and but Professor Bussler um, I want to go back for one second but by the way one, uh, I think it was the New York Times a lengthy piece by a woman um, professor out of Arizona State University who happens to be um, uh, happens to be uh, paired with with another woman for life and um, wrote about how she was mistreated by this process in the sense that it was all allegations made confidentially and then and it was made by someone and you couldn't tell who it was and in fact it was anonymous in this case lengthy lengthy description the new york times i think it was uh, in the magazine in other words it's been unsatisfactory for the left as well as the right meaning that it was a sort of setup that was meant to uh, get better outcomes perhaps if you want to be generous and yet it was Right. So so the question I have is what took DeVos um, so long and why can't why can't a college campus be a place where something like the rule of law could be invoked? In other words, if you're a young man or let's pretend it's a young man or woman, you get accused, your life gets ruined and it turns out that it didn't work out right. Can you sue the school? Can you sue uh, the individual? Can you try to even the playing field if you're wrong? Because otherwise it feels like a sort of a free shot to ruin someone or attempt to. And that's not American. I mean, is there before DeVos, was there any way you could get your get get even and, and, and make yourself whole again? There really, there really isn't. Um, I don't think the school can be held liable. They looked at information and made a decision. I guess you can file um, some kind of a civil action against your accuser, but it's yeah. going to be kind of hard to, to show uh, exactly what happened and who was at fault. And usually, um, by the time if you, if, for a man, if they've gone through this and are finally exonerated, they really just don't want to think any more about it and just move on to the next the next thing. So it's, it's a very yeah. difficult, uh, you know, there, there's just a man and a woman there, and it's pretty much he said, she said. And, we're, you know, we're going through it now. It's funny, Joe Biden uh, wanted to uh, say something about the boss's rule. He, he's in the middle of one of these things himself. Um, you know, he's got Tyra right. Reid who said that Joe Biden sexually assaulted her in 1993, um, and the um, left's position generally is all women should be believed. And that's what happened, you recall, during the Brett Kavanaugh um, hearings. Well, yeah. yep. Obama, I mean, Biden's kind of in a tough spot here. Do you believe her? Now, he says it never happened. Um, she said it did happen. She's willing to take a lie detector test even and says you should ask right. him to do it. I doubt he'll he'll do that. But it, 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 it's, it's a very difficult thing. You want to protect women, uh, certainly you want to do that, and they're entitled uh, to be 
protected against sexual aggressors. On the other hand, you need to protect men if they've been unjustly accused. And because there's no witnesses, it's very difficult to come up with a position that that makes sense. This thing is going to flip flop back and forth. So we had it a certain way. Obama pushed it somewhat to the left. Uh, DeVos pushed it to the right. If Biden is successful, he'll be able to push it back to the left sometime in the future. He'll go back to the right. So this is this is a very difficult thing, um, and I'm not sure what the, the proper position is. Many women uh, will argue that the, the women's voice, the woman's voice, should be heard the loudest here and believed the, the most. Um, others will argue, look, uh, look in Brett Kavanaugh's case. Uh, he hadn't been intimate with a woman until he was a junior in, in college. This incident with uh, Blase Ford uh, supposedly occurred when he was 15, 16 years old. Um, so, and he couldn't really defend himself. And you watched on TV as he tried to do that, and it became very difficult. So, this is a, this is a very difficult I- problem. I'm not sure what the right answer should be. I may regret this question because I wouldn't want the the, the answer to be um, yes, but couldn't Congress do something about uh, jurisdictionally about somehow? I mean, maybe it's not supposed to be a federal question, you know, in terms of the law, but couldn't Congress say, you know what, universities are not exempt from certain requirements? I guess that's kind of what she's doing. I'm sure she's doing it, though, Betsy DeVos, probably using the sort of authority she has with institutions that get some kind of federal uh, federal interaction, whether it's money or otherwise, which is, you know, 99% of the schools. But I, I you know, yeah. why, why couldn't we have a leader, a leader in Congress who say, yeah, we're not going to allow this um, kind of thing. There doesn't seem to be an appetite for it, I suppose, right? Well, usually things like this do get up to to Congress. Remember, Congress is in charge with making laws. Um, So it could end end up there. I don't think Congress is real uh, uh, quick to jump onto something like this because they know it's essentially a no-win situation. Whichever side you come down on, the other side is going to say it, it isn't fair. Uh, so, yes, yeah. Congress could pass the law. I don't think they're ready to jump into this quite yet, but they may have mm. to. Yeah, it's certainly um, it's interesting. All right, Dr. Bussler, thank you uh, for your time and thanks for writing on these subjects and coming on. We'll have you back on again. Uh, Dr. Bussler is at Stockton University, a, a professor of finance, and uh, M. Bussler on Twitter, and we'll put all the rest of it up on social media. Have a great day, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Take care. All right, we'll take a quick break. And it's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. We're back with our old friend, John Schlafly, who is one half uh, of, I'm not sure which half, of the Schlafly Report with his brother, Andy. Each week it posts over at townhall.com. This week, the title of this one is it's called Restart. Well, and so it sounds good, right? It's a restart. It's going to be John and Andy going to tell us how we're going to restart the economy. And so instead, it's Restart Sports. Without gambling. So now that just on the headline, John, I'm not sure whether you're saying we can restart sports without gambling on the coronavirus. We could restart sports without gambling. There's a lot of layers to this. So welcome back, John. How are you? Hi, Ed. Well, a title title is meant to be uh, provocative and to get somebody to read your article. Uh, yeah. So it looks I like think it worked. We, we succeeded uh, <laughs> uh, this week because <laughs> there are some questions to be looking into. And, of course, we well, I really feel the worst way we need to, re- to return to the American way of life. And that includes 
baseball, football, and other professional sports gathering in stadiums, as well as amateur sports that we've missed for two months now. And, uh, you know, Major League Baseball is talking about uh, having an abbreviated season of only 80 games, but uh, perhaps they may play to empty stadiums, and that's just not going to work, I don't think. Uh, but what we pointed out in the column, Ed, is that unbeknownst to many Americans, the professional sports leagues, including the NFL and MLB, have has thrown in their lot with uh, Internet gambling on sports. And uh, mm-hmm. several states, maybe you know, 10 to 15 states, this is going state by state, in which states were allowed by the Supreme Court on a state-by-state basis to allow um, fantasy sports. It started out as fantasy sports, which is gambling, and then moving from there into betting on the real events. So this is a concern. It's kind of coming out of nowhere without enough attention to it. And so as everyone is at home glued to their screen, it's something to consider. Well, and I like this. I like your point on this because it, it is. It has actually snuck up. I did not know until I was reading a column. We're talking with John Schlafly, uh, Schlafly Report, uh, also archived over at phyllisschlafly dot com. I did not know it's up to. I think it was eighteen. I can't find it in my notes now. Eighteen states, yeah, where it, it's been legalized. It's you know. I knew there were a handful, and they were waiting on the Supreme Court case. And your point. So, John, the the biggest problem with gambling on sports in your mind of the two problems I think of, which is one, if there's big money or money on the line, it's going to influence behavior, period. It's never been true. It's never been not true. That's one thing, the reality, whether you, in your article, in your column, you cite, um, you know, the, the, the Black Sox scandal. You know, you could talk about Pete Rose betting on his own team, whatever it is. You can pick something. But it's never been not true that there's going to be an influence. But the, the second one is um, that I wonder about is... The impact on, uh, as you point out, on families. I mean, and, and, you know, people now gambling when, you know, you didn't need, um, if you had to go work for it, you know, go travel 50 miles, go to an underground saloon, bet on sports, you might still do it. It's not like it didn't exist, but it was harder to do. Which is worse, John? Which worries you more? Which is something, we, which of the two issues I just brought up, can we, can we envision our, um, our culture and our political class addressing? Well, the first issue is may not be that much of a concern if you mean corruption of the athletes themselves. Because, first of all, the athletes are being paid so much now uh, that they may not be tempted as as they were when they, uh, you know, in, the, in those historical examples of uh, right. uh, the, the athletes were not really paid very much. And they could have been tempted by... Uh, but but these days, the bigger issue, I think, is the ubiquitous Internet availability of gambling. And a certain number of the pop- certain fraction of the population is going to be addicted to gambling over the Internet. And it's going to start in the teenage years. And uh, it's going to cause uh, family problems and ultimate problems. It's going to disrupt families. And so... It's a concern when it's right there at home, it's on your smartphone, it's everywhere. That's a problem. And the the thing, what's new is that the leagues themselves 
are supporting this. Right. You know, in right. the old days, the leagues uh, enforced a no gambling policy, and the NFL in particular uh, was adamant that they cannot allow betting on NFL games, except in Nevada, which was a highly regulated environment. But now um, the NFL itself has signed on to fantasy sports, and um, they're almost a partner, just as the state governments have become a partner to gambling. And since state governments are losing revenue due to the uh, lack of any of retail and restaurants, they're now the state governments are now needing some place to fill in the revenue that they're not getting. So it's a vicious, vicious situation. Uh, the power of money uh, is driving us. We're talking with John Schlafly. And uh, and John, the next question, though, is, and I'll, I'll pull this towards what I know is one of the topics you've written on before and you know well, too, um, but the political class. In, at the state level, but also especially the federal level, and I give I'll, I'll give the example of of China. People say, "Oh, oh, there's so much problem with China." For the last 25 years, we've had politicians in both parties say China is a problem. It treats our jobs badly, this and that. And yet, when push came to shove, the amount of money and influence of the China lobby, whether it was Wall Street, multinational corporations, always kind of tamped down any real change. So here we are up in the political class in Washington D.C. And is there any any hope that a, a an argument uh, of for pro family for workers for you know uh, those uh, addicted will carry the day when the amount of money on the other side now you got the NFL you know you got Major League Baseball I you know I, I don't even know the NBA all saying we'll join forces with the interests that make money off this and we'll all make the argument to politicians who's going to stand up to that. Well, of course, we know that the NBA basketball has sold out to China. That was uh, that we went through that uh, scandal and crisis about six months ago. When, but um, you know, is there hope? Well, Ed, of course, there's always, always hope, and uh, and the fact that many, many people are are taking stock of their situation, their life as a result of the crisis. And we don't know what's going to come out of this. You know, at the beginning of the program, I spoke about getting back to normal and restoring the American way of life. But the truth of the matter is human behavior is such that we're already beyond that point. Everything that happens from now on is going to be in light of uh, what we've all Experienced and been through and endured for the last couple of months, and the the, the dramatic change in our working lives and our family lives, it's not going to be the same. It can't be the same. Schools are not going to be the same. Work the workplace is not going to be the same, and uh, public gatherings are not going to be the same. We don't. It's going to be hard to foresee how this will shake out. Uh, but those of us who and those of you speaking to your audience who are grounded in first principles and in their faith and in a commitment to the Constitution need to, you know, adhere to those guideposts for helping to restore or helping to build what we're going to do from now on. And people who are leaders need to take the lead on this because that's what the country, I think, is crying out for, leadership to 
how we get out of this and how we build a better country when it's all over. I was talking to John Schlafly. John, I, I would be remiss if I didn't grab a, a quick answer from you on um, General Flynn, um, the case over the last week. And you and I have talked about on the on this program and on other programs about, well, looks like that the, the right thing's finally happening. And yet now we have the judge in, in a sort of unprecedented um, moment asking for amicus briefs from outside parties on why he shouldn't go ahead and dismiss the case. I, what's your reaction and what's your thoughts? Where What does it mean? Where are we? What's What's your thoughts? Well, uh, amicus briefs have become routine in uh, many civil cases, and especially in the Supreme Court, where we, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of them are typically filed in a high-profile case. Sometimes over a hundred, but but it's very <clears throat> rare, almost unheard of in criminal cases. And as General uh, General Flynn's uh, terrific legal team led by Sidney Powell and Molly McCann filed court papers yesterday saying that the the judge, Judge Sullivan, has already rejected 24 separate previous efforts by different people to intervene in the Flynn case or to file papers. And uh, so, you know, he should stick to that position. Uh, uh, Of course, we always knew that uh, the judge would have to finally sign off on the withdrawal of the case, but um, we we do think that the judge's options are limited, but uh, ultimately he's got to, he could delay it, Ed, and somebody suggests he might even delay it until after the election, which would be horrible, Uh, because for the General Flynn's life has been twisting in the wind now for three years, and it's as, as Mark Stein said, the process is the punishment, and it needs to come to an end so that General Flynn can get back to make contributions which he can still make to our country. It's, uh, it is amazing to see. We'll have to cover this some more, John. I, I, I welcome your perspective. We're out of time. John Schlafly, again, the column is uh, Restart Sports Without Gambling. John Andy Schlafly over at phyllisschlafly.com, all archived there. Thanks, John. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Ed. All right, we'll take another break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Be back in a minute. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer, San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, grassroots activist, author of 27 books, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. As soon as presidential candidate Joe Biden promised to nominate the first black woman to the Supreme Court, it became clear that Biden was planning to destroy all the efforts President Trump has made to put constitutionalist judges on the Supreme Court. Biden would rather use the court as a weapon to wield against his political enemies. Biden wants a liberal judiciary that will make laws rather than interpret them. Misusing the courts to change the meaning of our written laws is the essence of judicial activism, which Republicans rightly oppose. Upcoming high court rulings on three major gender-related issues influence Biden's strategy to play the gender card with the Supreme Court. Each case could yield a 5-4 decision that will drop like a bombshell in the presidential campaign. In one case, the court will decide whether states can make abortionists comply with basic standards requiring them to be available for follow-up on any complications. Oral argument did not go as well as feminists hoped. 
A conservative ruling on this case could inject abortion into the fall presidential debates. In another case, the court will decide whether the federal law that bans discrimination on account of sex should also prohibit discrimination on account of sexual preference. In a third case, the court will decide if sex means biological sex like everyone thought it did when Congress passed laws or whether sex now includes transgenders. No matter how the court rules in these cases, Joe Biden will use them to prattle off feminist theories about gender. Thankfully, President Trump has solid answers to the attacks from Biden on gender issues and the Supreme Court. Our nation is a better place for the American woman than ever before, in part because of President Trump. His support of the Second Amendment gives women the right to defend themselves from threats to their safety. His support of the sanctity of life keeps women from being victims of the abortion industry. His support of constitutionalist judges gives women the ability to pursue their dreams with the full freedom our great founding document affords to all. Women are better off with President Donald Trump. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Can activist judges be stopped or will they continue to overturn laws with no regard for the Constitution or the will of the people? Connect with us at phyllisschlafly.com to hear alerts on rulings made by never-elected supremacist judges and to share your viewpoint. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back, Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Good to be together. So I want to clarify something, and that is uh, Governor Cuomo did not kill all those people he sent uh, to all the nursing home patients that died after he sent home, um, sent to the nursing homes sick patients. And I know a lot of people are making hay, and even as I bring it up, it sort of makes hay, right? I do think it's important for people to all get real on the reality, get real on the reality, that's pretty weak, but get real on what's happening in the country. And there's going to be a lot of hard decisions made by people in positions of authority, and not all of them are going to turn out well. And so I really actually don't blame Cuomo. Uh, I think he was a mistake. He signed an executive order. They sent them into nursing homes. But as my wife, the doctor, said about this subject, you got to send them somewhere. Nursing homes probably weren't ready to take patients that had disease. In other words, they couldn't sort of quarantine them off into into certain wings or anything, but you had to send them somewhere. And so the idea you're going to send them nowhere, what are you going to do? You can't keep them in the hospital the whole time. So I don't actually blame them. And my setup for this is to let you know that there's going to be moments in the next six months, year, 18 months, where you're going to say, oh, geez, if somebody just done this, it would have been better. Well, 2020 hindsight is really, really good. Everybody's hindsight is 2020. Everybody's hindsight is twenty twenty. Everybody knows how to look back and say, I would have done this. But people in the big chair have to decide. It's one of the reasons why, as I've recounted to you, when I, was, when I became chief of staff to the governor of Missouri, I called around to a bunch of chiefs of staff. And I asked them, I said, hey, um, you, uh, any advice? You know, and I had lots of cool phrases. One guy, Scott, um, Scott. Fitzgerald, I think his name was, who was chief of staff to Tommy Thompson in Wisconsin, said, here's my best advice. The governor appoints and the chief of staff disappoints. The governor says yes. The chief of staff says no. And the point was, you know, you've got to be sort of the lightning rod for your boss. Uh, but one of the um, one of the realities 
of the situation was that when you are oh, and another bit of advice from another guy who wasn't a chief of staff, he said, you can figure out everything. You game plan everything until you get natural disasters or something you don't see. And then it's how you respond and how you handle it that matters. Meaning you can have a, a we had a, a, a emergency management plan for tornadoes, for an earthquake or a flood. But until you're in it, you can't tell how bad it's going to be. You can't in this case with this uh, this artificially uh, thrust upon us virus. You just can't know. And so nobody's going to do that well. And this is one of the reasons why these kinds of tragedies are very hard politically to survive. Because you're going to you're going to get you, you, you're not going to be able to prove a negative. No one's going to be able to prove that if we hadn't done X, if we instead of done Y, it would have been worse. You can't prove the negative. So that's why it's a hard situation. And my point in telling you that is the hard situations are not going to stop. And when Fauci testifies yesterday and says, oh, well, if you go back too soon, it could be really bad. OK, you know, great. Thanks, Einstein. Doesn't tell me anything. Somebody's got to pick. And somebody's got to pick the moment and be willing to say, yeah, I'm putting it on the line to go forward because we can't live like this. That's what it means to be a leader. And that's why it costs to be a leader. It's a lot easier to be a, a you know, a theoretical a kind of games, run a model. Let's see what the model say. Oh, the model, that model didn't work. Let's run a new model. Let's change that model. What do you think? You got to make the call. Somebody's got to make the call. So it's going to cost. That's all. Just be forewarned. All right. We got to go. We got to go. We'll be back tomorrow night. Ed Martin in. Thank you, Noah, our technical director, for keeping everything online. Joanna for booking. We'll be back tomorrow night. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.